0: As I was worshiping with the music team, I was reminded of what a blessing they are to us. I don't know that everyone knows how much work goes into that ministry. And even the songs that are selected. I gave Joel a week ago my message title having no idea what music he would pick to go with it. And it was spot on. He knows how to pick out the music that enhances what is going to be preached and and all the ministry the music team do a great job so we have such a blessing uh, there how many of you were here this morning to hear frank preach frank gave a wonderful message this morning on psalm 16 and he told a story he told a story in the beginning about two brothers named lie and truth remember that I thought that the moral, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but it was, it was a good story. And the moral of the story was that a lot of people would rather follow a dressed up lie rather than a naked truth. And I thought that was good because that really ties in to what I'm going to be talking about tonight. But it's not really funny. It's sad that that, that is a truth in our generation, our culture, because tonight we're going to be talking about. Entitled of the message is Beware of False Teaching. It may or may not surprise you that on any given Sunday, there are hundreds if not thousands of false prophets standing in pulpits all around the world proclaiming in the name of God things that are just not true. This is done in many different ways. Sometimes it's by outright lying, by adding things to God's Word that are simply not there. Other times it's done by omitting, omission by omitting and not preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God, ignoring or eliminating difficult teachings, thereby making void things that they don't agree with. But more often than not, it's done a lot of times by using partial truths and twisting them and taking them out of context and using them improperly to lead people who they themselves might be sincere. They are led down a road that takes them away from the truth, a road paved with deception and false hope and ultimately away from the one true and living God and his holy word. Now this is not new. There was a problem in the early church with this as well. Most of the writers of the New Testament spent much of their time devoted to rebuking false teachers and false doctrines. They were infiltrating the church and sadly it's still happening today. Sometimes I think at Lakeside we're almost immune to it because we have such pure and good teaching here. But for many in the world today, this is a real problem. You know, I know this is true because for the past six years, I've been leading a Bible study in my community that consists of 20 plus men who come from all different denominations and walks of life. And I'm amazed at some of the teaching that they have been and are continuing to be exposed to some is very sound some is very weak and compromising and some of it is just plain heretical i don't know why it surprises me though jesus said it would happen in matthew 24:11 he said and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray he said in matthew 7:15 beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves the disciples also warned against it Peter in 2 Peter two one said, False prophets who also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them. The Apostle Paul warned repeatedly against it in his writings. In Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Titus, almost every letter he wrote, he felt the need to ward against false prophets and those who would spread false doctrine. One of those passages that was written by Paul as the subject of our study this evening. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 11 this evening. And we will see in our study tonight that false teaching is a serious issue because it distorts the gospel. It leads people away from the truth of the Bible and to a gospel of their own making. Follow along as I read 1 Timothy 1 verses 3 through 11. for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. As we see from our text, this subject is treated very seriously by the Apostle Paul. Just because it is prevalent does not mean it should be treated lightly. Jesus did not treat it lightly, Paul did not treat it lightly, and we in the church today should not treat it lightly. We all have responsibility to expose, to counter, to guard against false teaching when we can counter it. As I began to study this passage and meditated on false doctrine and false teachers, I was reminded of just how many churches have their foundations built upon false doctrine. When you think about Tampa Bay, there are many Jewish synagogues here. There are many Muslim mosques. The Mormon Church is here. The Church of Latter-day Saints, the Jehovah Witnesses are here. The Church of Scientology owns half of Clearwater, it seems like, if you even want to call them a church. Between these alone, there are a thousand in attendance. Most would classify these as false religions or even cults whose most basic doctrines do not hold fast to the teaching of Scripture and the Gospel, but most of them still use the Bible, or parts of it at least, in their teaching. And there are other churches who teach false doctrines, doctrines that are contrary to Scripture, that are not always put in the same category as false religions or cults, but nonetheless are still teaching false doctrine. We could talk about the Roman Catholic Church, many of their teachings that are contrary to Scripture. We could talk about the Unitarian Church and the Unity Church, both of which have large buildings and many members in our community, and which teach, among many other false teachings, that there are many ways to God. I've met people in my community where I live that go to these churches, and they think they're no different than a regular Christian or Baptist church, even though they do not believe or teach even some of the most basic truths of the gospel. But it goes much further than that. Many churches, some even a few years ago, that would have been considered mainline Protestant churches, no longer teach the truth of Scripture. Some consider the book of Genesis a book of allegories and not truth. Many no longer hold to things such as the virgin birth or the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Some no longer teach in heaven and hell as real literal places. One popular Bible teacher whose name you would know told his congregation of several thousand people that they did not need to read or study the Old Testament anymore. It wasn't necessary. Many churches and teachers are caving in to the secular teachings of the culture and no longer teach the proper scriptural role and identity of men and women and family. Some of these churches would have been considered mainstream Christian churches just a few short years ago. These are not weird churches with which you are not familiar. They are Lutheran and Methodist, Presbyterian, and even some Baptist churches. Now, don't misquote me. I am not saying all of these denominations have succumbed, but within some of these broad institutions, some branches and some individual churches have and are straying from traditional doctrines of the faith and are allowing false doctrines to take hold within their ranks. As I pondered this, I thought to myself, Solomon was right many years ago when he said there's nothing new under the sun. None of this stuff is new. Satan began his fight against the church and against truth even before the church was born. He is not called the great deceiver and the deceiver for no reason. He's a liar and a thief and his desire is to mislead, to deceive, and to destroy all that he can while he can But thankfully, God gave us His Word to prepare us for this and to give us instruction in how to deal with it. So one of those passages we just read. In our text today, Paul gives Timothy, as well as the church leaders and all of us as believers, three directives for dealing with false doctrine and false teachers. He begins immediately in verse 3 and 4 by giving Timothy directive number 1. Directive number 1 is he gives him a mission. And the mission is demand sound doctrine. Let me read verse 3 and 4 again. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. Paul gives Timothy a mission to demand sound doctrine. He is commanding him to stay in Ephesus for a purpose. He gives him a very clear mission to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And we learned several things from Paul's statement. We learned that it was not everyone who was teaching false doctrine. It was certain persons. Not all the leaders had gone astray, but there were teachers, probably some of the elders in the church there at Ephesus who were teaching false doctrine. I think Timothy knew who they were, so Paul didn't name names here. So, later on, he does, though. If you go on down to verse 20, as it turns out, later in the letter, he does mention names. Down in verse 20, Paul calls out two men for teaching false doctrine. He says, they have shipwrecked their faith. And then in verse 20, he says, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they may learn not to blaspheme. Their teaching was so grievous, so dangerous, that Paul exercises church discipline on them and he removes them from the church. So there's a time when that needs to happen, but at this time, he doesn't think that's appropriate yet. He tells Timothy first, instruct them to not teach any more doctrine that it's different. And this statement that he makes is a command. It's not a suggestion. In his letter to Titus, he gives him the same message using even stronger language and Chapter 1 and verse 11 of Titus, talking about the false teachers, he said they must be silenced. They are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. In verse 13, he says to Titus, rebuke them sharply. Paul is saying to Timothy and to Titus the same thing. This is serious. Stop it. Stop it now. Do not let them teach false doctrine any longer. So what was the false teaching That they were propagating. We don't know exactly. The ESV says, charge them to teach no doctrine that's different. He says, quit teaching different doctrine. Other versions render it strange. Quit teaching strange doctrines. Different or strange tells that it was something not normal, not ordinary. It was something different than what Jesus and the apostles were teaching. Today, we would just say something simply like it's unbiblical. It's not biblical teaching. We don't know specifically what they were teaching, but verse 4 gives us a clue. They were myths, legends, fables, not rooted in history, made up stories. It says they were in some way holding up genealogies and families' trees and lineages. Much of it was guesswork, not grounded in facts or scripture. Again, in Titus, Paul addresses the same type thing in Titus three nine. He says, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they are unprofitable and useless. If you turn over a couple of pages to chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, verses 1 through 7, give us some more specific insight to what was going on in Ephesus. Let me read 1 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 1. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth, for it is made holy by the Word of God and prayer. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who nourishes by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. This tells us that they were teaching a religious system of rules. Do this. Don't do that. Eat this. Not that. You cannot get married. They were, in essence, going back to a work salvation system. Many false teachers and many false religions do that. They promote a system of rules and rituals that depend upon man and man's efforts. The true gospel message is the complete opposite. God, through Christ's redemptive work on the cross, accomplished salvation apart from any human effort. That is why false teaching is so serious. When it distorts the gospel, it leads people on a path away from God and not to Him. And Paul instructs Timothy to not shy away, to not ignore it, but to engage them to confront them, and to command them to stop. So you can tell from Paul's words how important this was. It was important then and it's important now. False teaching is just as much alive today and is just as much a threat today as it was then. Paul is instructing Timothy to take on the fight, protect the church, protect the flock, and this same charge is given to the elders of Lakeside and every other church that claims to be Christian to be followers of Christ. Now, there's a very strong push, you're probably aware, in our culture today to adopt the culture's view on what's happening in the church today. This movement is called by many names and manifests itself in different ways. You might call it the progressive church, the woke church, the social gospel I would not be surprised. i go as far to say it's right around the corner that we will be persecuted as a church if we continue to preach the biblical standards on what constitutes a family, that God created as male and female, that homosexuality is a sin. Churches all across the world are being confronted in these areas and many of them are compromising in the so-called name of tolerance and love, which is really not love at all. When you love someone, you will tell them the truth. But many churches and teachers are falling under the pressure of society and are choosing to disregard God's Word in these areas. That was exactly what was happening in the first century as well. The Judaizers the ones that would eventually become the Gnostics, those in Ephesus who had come out of Judaism and paganism were now involved as church leaders and they had infiltrated the church leadership and were bringing these false doctrines with them and Timothy was given a mission by Paul, stop it, stop it in its tracks. This passage spoke to me as a leader. As I was preparing this lesson, I was initially going to mention a few of the false teachings I've witnessed over the course of the past several years, and I'm going to do that. But after studying this, I am compelled to mention a few names as well. Paul saw fit to mention names so that the people would be warned not to follow them, to take the spreading of false doctrine seriously. One of the false doctrines I see having a really negative effect on the church today is sometimes called the prosperity gospel, or the health and wealth teaching, the word of faith movement. It is propagated by teachers such as Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, T.D. Jakes, and hundreds of other charismatic teachers. This teaching takes certain scriptures out of context and makes the claim that God wants everyone to be prosperous and wealthy, usually by urging them and pleading with their listeners to send them money. Kind of tells you something right there, doesn't it? They also promise faith healing and other teaching that centers on unleashing the power of the Holy Spirit by exercising your faith. It clearly puts the emphasis on you and away from God that God's power rests on your faith. Most of their teaching is twisted use of scriptures to promote greed and selfish interest and is contrary to the true message of the gospel. Another false doctrine I see that is prevalent in the church today is the doctrine of which some call easy believism. This is the teaching that overemphasizes God's love to the neglect of his other attributes such as his wrath and justice, his hatred of sin. Joel Osteen and Andy Stanley would fall into this category. I am sure you are aware that these two teachers alone pastor some of the largest megachurches in the world and hundreds of thousands of people are sitting under their teaching. Besides their local congregations, they impact thousands from their best-selling books as well. You will not hear Joel Osteen mention words, seldom will ever mention words like sin or hell. He centers his teaching on the encouragement and self-help and other feel-good topics. His teaching reminds me of the words in 2 Timothy 4, 3, where Paul says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. People by the thousands flock to these megachurches to hear what they want to hear, not what they need to hear, not what the Word says. Do you know that Andy Stanley recently told his congregation that they needed to quit making statements such as the Bible says? He says there's so much controversy in the Bible that we need to evangelize based on the events of the Bible and not the words of the Bible. Does he not know that scripture, all scripture is God breathed? Both of these teachers along with many hundreds if not thousands like them have bought into Satan's lies. They have such a low view of Scripture and a distorted view of God's attributes especially His holiness. It's just about making decisions for them not about making disciples. There are so many false teachers. Many of them are so evident and yet many others have been flying under the radar. You have Joyce Myers a woman pastor who has thousands of followers. You do not have to to say any more about her than that she claims to be a pastor. Scripture explicitly says that a woman is not to exercise authority over a man, and yet she stands in a pulpit on a regular basis teaching and exercising authority over men. You can research her teaching further and you'll find that she holds to several doctrines that are contrary to Orthodox Christianity. And I could go on all day listing names of teachers who are propagating false teaching all over our country and the world And yet, probably the most dangerous teaching is what is happening in hundreds, maybe thousands of churches, of names of teachers that you would not recognize. It's happening by unknown, regular churches all across the country, down the street from us. And it is this subtle straying away from a high view of Scripture the adopting the values of the culture and trying to justify it by picking and choosing what scripture to focus on, calling certain passages metaphors, claiming others as just cultural nuances, all done in order to justify what they want to believe. We see this most blatantly today in this whole area of gender identity and the adopting of the gay and lesbian and transgender population into the church. Many churches are sympathizing with the culture's view on these and other agendas. False teaching and false doctrine are all around us in the church today. And we are given a mission just like Timothy was. Stop it. Expose it. Warn against it. In verses 5 through 7, we see the second directive given to Timothy. And that involves the motivation of the message Verse 5 says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Here we see Timothy was not only given a mission, he is given the motivation behind the mission. The aim of our charge is love. Everyone, whether they admit it or not, has a motive behind their actions. Paul says to Timothy and to all leaders and to all of us, we are to confront false doctrine and false teachers with the proper motivation and that is one of love. Love is the essence of Christianity. It's everything we do as believers should be done out of love because God is love. His essence is love. In John thirteen thirty five, we are told that that's the mark of a true believer that this is how all men should know that you are my disciples that you love one another. And first John, John goes on to tell us that the one who does not love does not even know God. Why is he telling us that our motivation is love? Because he is contrasting what our motivation should be to what the false teacher's motivation is. We'll get to their motivation in a moment, but first our motivation. We are to have the kind of motivation that flows from self-sacrificing, self-denying love that comes alone from God. Paul breaks it down. He gives us three sources from which that type of love flows. First, he says it flows from a pure heart. What does it mean to have a pure heart? Pure means not mixed with something else, uncontaminated. Being pure in heart involves having a singleness of heart towards God. A pure heart has no hypocrisy, no guile, no hidden motives. The pure heart is marked by transparency and an uncompromising desire to please God in all things. It's more than an external purity of behavior. It is an internal purity of soul. A pure heart is a heart given completely to the Lord who He is the one that does the cleansing. We are told in Matthew to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. To not love with mixed motivations. I love David's word in Psalm 51.10 where after his sin with Bathsheba he cried out to the Lord create in me a clean heart. I think sometimes when people don't agree with us, we can, without thinking, go after them, maybe with both barrels, attacking them out of impure motives. I can't believe that they believe that. I can't, what's wrong with them? In some ways, it can be a source of pride when you go to a church like Lakeside because we have been taught so well in the doctrines of the faith. Jerry Bridges talks about this in his book, Respectable Sins. He calls it doctrinal pride. Paul addressed this type of pride in 1 Corinthians 8 when the issue of eating meat offered to idols comes up. He said in chapter 8, verse 1, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This kind of knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That doesn't mean we don't address or confront those who are in the wrong. It just means that there's a right way to do it, and it's to be done in love. Galatians 6, 1, we're told, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you are spiritual. Restore such a one in spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. To have a pure heart is to have humility. We know if it were not for the grace of God, there go I. That's the type of attitude we'd had. We need to remember that our purpose as a church, our purpose as believers, is to make Christ known to others. To help bring people out of darkness and into the light. It's not that they... Agree with us, it is that they agree with the truth that sets them free, that opens their eyes, that makes a blind person see. That leads to life and not death. These false teachers will be confronted out of love for their souls and the th- souls of those who they were teaching. The motivation of our instruction in dealing with false teachers and false doctrine is the love that flows from a pure heart which then leads to a good conscience. For the most part, the mind knows the standard of right and wrong, and when that standard has been violated, the conscience reacts to produce guilt, shame, doubt, fear, despair. Those with a pure heart will not be condemned by their conscience. It was Paul's goal to live with a clear conscience. When we, he said in Acts twenty four sixteen, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. When we confront those who are holding to unbiblical teachings, we can have a clean conscience when we do it out of the right motivation of love. The motivation of love flows from a pure heart, a clean conscience, and thirdly, from a sincere faith, one without hypocrisy. We are never to pretend. I love the word used for hypocrite in Scripture. It was derived from the word that we get actor from. A hypocrite is an actor playing a part. They are not real, they are just acting. We confront false teaching not as a hypocrite, but with sincerity. This is a real, genuine faith. We know that Timothy had this kind of faith. Back in first 1, as Paul began his letter to Timothy, he called him his true disciple in the faith. Over in Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he tells Timothy he is reminded of his sincere faith. He saw it in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. This is a faith that is not hypocritical. It is driven by a real and genuine love for God and people. When you put all of this together, love that flows from a pure heart, a clean conscience, a sincere faith, you get a picture of the right motivation we should have in addressing false teaching, which is the opposite motivation of false teachers. They have dirty hearts, not pure hearts. They have unclean conscience that condemn them. and They have hypocritical, false, deceiving faith. Verses 6 and 7 describe the motivation of these specific false teachers Paul is referring to. Verse 6 begins, certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. This is not the motivation of love. It was one to fulfill their own egos and probably their own pockets. That's why Paul says it was just fruitless discussions. Paul says this group in Ephesus that he was instructing Timothy to silence had a motivation to be teachers of the law. They were not interested in learning the law, obeying the law, instructing the people in love about the law. They were after prestige and power, the same thing the Pharisees were after in the synagogues. They now wanted in the church. Listen to what Jesus said about them in Matthew 23, verses 5 through 7. He said, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. This is the opposite attitude presented in Scripture of one who is called to be a teacher of God's Word. A teacher is called to humility. I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones said concerning the attitude a preacher should have. He said that teaching the word is such an awesome task that a godly man shrinks from it. Nothing but his overwhelming sense of being called and of compulsion should ever lead anyone to preach. If you examine false teachers today, you will find very little humility. Our text says that even though they do not understand, they make confident assertions. They come across as so knowledgeable and bold and they're so charismatic. No wonder so many people follow them and listen to them and buy their books and download their podcasts. They're, they seem to be experts, but it's all a show. They partake in fruitless discussions because they have strayed from the truth, from scripture. I am here to tell you, Paul is here to tell you, avoid these teachers. Do not watch them on TV. Do not buy their books. They are not in ministry out of love. They are in it for themselves. They are driven by ego, for fame, for money. And the scripture says they are wolves in sheep clothing. They're not going to tell you who they really are. They're in disguise. That's why we should examine their motives, examine their testimony, and most importantly, examine their teaching, their doctrine, which leads us to the third directive. We've seen so far that Paul gave Timothy a mission to stop false teachers. He gives them the motivation, which is love. And thirdly, he gives Timothy the means of completing the mission, and which is to use and apply Scripture correctly. Look at verses 8 through 11. Paul says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, before the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, slavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God which I have been entrusted." In these verses, we see the effect of false doctrine and the means of completing the mission given to Timothy. The effect is misunderstanding and a path that leads away from God, which tells us that the means for completing the mission is to rightly divide the word of truth. The example before us is the way these false teachers were incorrectly using the law. Paul said they did not even understand what they were saying, even though they were making confident assertions. Isn't that evident today? So many pastors and teachers are standing in the pulpits and making confident assertions about things they don't even understand. They're no different than unconverted people who do not have the Holy Spirit and cannot understand and apply the truth of Scripture. And sadly, that's where we're at in many churches across our land. So what does Paul do? What is he instructing Timothy to do? What is he telling us to do? I think by his example, he's telling Timothy and us to use Scripture to correctly proclaim the truth to expose false doctrine. Look what he does. They were mishandling, misrepresenting the law in their false teaching. So he corrects them. He says, don't misunderstand me. The law is good if used correctly, if used lawfully. The law reflects God's will. He's saying the law is not used to make you righteous by your own efforts. The law is, is given to show sinners their sin and need for a savior. And then he goes on to list the types of people for which the law was given. Not righteous people, but sinners. The first several types of people deal with those who've broken the first of the Ten Commandments that deal with the relationship to God. He says lawless and rebellious, ungodly sinners, unholy and profane. All of these describe people who live without regard to God or God's law because they have no regard for God. They live in rebellion and indifference to God's words. They have broken the commandment to love the Lord My God, and not have any other gods or worship any other idols. The rest of the list of sins comes from the second half of the Ten Commandments, the ones that deal with the relationship to other people. Those who dishonor their parents, those who kill, immoral people, homosexuals, kidnappers, liars, perjurers. These have broken the commandments that say, Thou shalt honor their father and mother, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Then to make sure he's not left anything out, he says whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Sound is from the word we get hygiene from. It means clean, wholesome. Paul recognizes that sound doctrine promotes that which is healthy and clean. Paul is connecting sound, correct doctrine to clean, righteous behavior. No wonder so many false teachers are exposed. When they are exposed, you find out that they're not living righteously because they don't have that connection. To use the law correctly is to use it according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, as Paul calls it. He says the law is part of the gospel because it shows men their sin. There is no good news without this awareness. It is the glorious because it reveals God's glory his attributes, one of which is his holiness and hatred for sin. It is this true gospel for which Paul was entrusted and he desires to see advanced, not the false teaching and false doctrine that was happening in Ephesus. He shows us in these verses to Timothy how to deal with it. And it's the same way that we are to deal with it today, by teaching correctly from God's word. That's why later he tells Timothy to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's in 2 Timothy 2.15. The way we complete the mission to stop false teaching is to teach the truth, to use scripture correctly and not to take verses out of context, but to know and preach the word, be ready in season and out of season as it says in 2 Timothy 4.2. Paul, as he wrote to Timothy, gives him the pathway to deal with every type of false doctrine and false teacher. Correct them by proclaiming and admonishing and rightly handling the word of truth. That's, so, that's why it's so important to study and to know God's word. There's such a proliferation of false teaching, it's not always easy to spot. But the better you know God's word, The easier it is to detect. I used to, many of you may know, I used to work in a bank back in Kentucky a number of years ago, and you've probably heard this before, and it's true. The way they teach tellers how to spot counterfeit bills is not to teach them all about the counterfeit bills and what it all looks like. They teach them to understand and come to know what a real bill, an authentic bill, looks like. And when you are very familiar and knowledgeable about the real thing and you come across a fake one, it'll be easier to spot. That's why we need to know scripture and to be able to compare every teacher and their teaching to the real thing. Some of the red flags that we should look for is to ask questions. Ask the question, do they understand scripture? Are they taking verses out of context? Do they hold other extra biblical teachings on par with the Bible? Do they attempt to fit the Bible into their beliefs or do they stand on the Bible as their authority, the very words of God? We can also examine their goals. Do they seek to love, to honor, and glorify God? Or do they pursue self, love, money, and wealth, personal happiness? And we can even examine the effect of their teaching. Do the people who follow their teaching understand the gospel? Do they understand repentance? Are they still trying to earn their salvation? Do they think they are saved, and yet they are not concerned about living righteously? As I said in the beginning, the culture we live in today has a vast number of false religions and cults. And we need to pray for these groups. We need to witness to them when we have a chance. But what concerns me more than this is the downward slope, the proliferation of false teaching and false doctrine that is occurring within many Christian churches. I know that we're not going to agree with all our brothers and sisters on every point, but on the essentials, on the gospel, we must Where the Bible is black and white, we must not compromise. We do not want to partner with those teaching who is straying away from Scripture. It's a dangerous slope that leads people away from God rather than to Him. In a culture that encourages tolerance, inclusiveness, we cannot fall into the trap of compromising and lowering the standard of Scripture. The message to Timothy and to us is very clear. Stand up against false teachers and false doctrine. Do not be silent. Do it in love and humility, out of compassion and concern, not in arrogance or pride, and do it by correctly handling and applying the Word of God. I would be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity to say if there's anyone here tonight who has fallen prey to false teaching, God is calling you to repent and to turn to Jesus, who is the way and the truth. And to His Word, which is the only path to God's revealed will for you. And if you are a believer, which would apply to the majority of us, beware of false teachers and false doctrine. It can be very subtle and yet very dangerous. Stay alert, stay in the Word, pray for yourself, your friends, your families, your church to stay strong and to not compromise, to stay true to the faith handed down to us through the ages. For it is the only real source of truth and that's the truth that sets us free. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this evening for who you are, for loving us so much to send your Son into the world that all who repent and place their trust in Him will have eternal life. Thank you for the message you gave to Paul and for all the faithful servants who follow in the path of him and other apostles and remain true to the faith. We pray, Father, that you will continue to help the leaders and your servants at Lakeside to continue to fight the good fight, to not compromise as we witness so many others in the church doing today. We pray that you will raise up other faithful men and women who will have the courage within their churches who are spiraling downward in these areas to stand up to the challenge, to confront error and love using the standard of your holy word as their weapon of choice. Father, help us all to have courage to not be intimidated by the world and the culture. Help us to not be motivated by any desire other than love. Let concern and compassion be our driving force. And Father, may your word be our means. You have given us all the tools we need in your word. When our feelings fail us, your word never does. When people fail us, you never do. Give us the strength we need to endure this fight. It is in the most precious name, the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.